This Week in Startups is brought to you by Gainsight PX, the all-in-one solution for product managers. You worked hard on your product. Make sure your users actually use it with Gainsight PX's adoption driving tools and powerful analytics. Try Gainsight PX for free today at gainsight.com slash twist. Squarespace. Turn your idea into a new website. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code TWIST to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And LinkedIn. You need LinkedIn jobs to find the right people for your business. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash twist and get $50 off your first job post. Upcoming launch events. Get your free founder pass or purchase a VIP ticket for Launch Scale in San Francisco, October 7th and 8th at launchscale.net slash tickets. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. It's This Week in Startup. This is the podcast where I, Jason Calacanis, angel investor here in Silicon Valley, talk to founders of companies. Now, I have been doing this as a journalist, uh, as an event producer, founder, and angel investor for like 25 years. I'm getting old now. And when I hear an idea that's unique... I do something very simple. I take the idea and I email it to one of my producers and I say twist. What does it mean when I say twist? It doesn't mean I want them to do the twist. It means bring this person to me. I want to hear from the founder themselves about this idea. And I heard this idea and I said, you know, this is an idea that many people in Silicon Valley or they would hear a business idea and they would say, well, it's a lifestyle business. Or they might just dismiss it. It turns out the greatest investments that you can make are the ones that most people would dismiss. Why? Because humans are scared, uncreative little creatures. They don't take bold risks. So the bolder the idea, the harder it is for our feeble brains to understand it. And the longer the odds are for that idea to succeed, the harder it is for people to get their ideas uh, into their head in order to make a bet. Now, who wants to make a bet on a one in 100 chance? That sounds like a stupid thing to do. You know what? That's my job. I invest every day in things that are long shots. One in 20, one in 50, one in 100. The longer the odds, the better. Now you're saying, Jason, that makes no sense. That's stupid. No. What's stupid is not going for the long shots because the long shots pay off so well. They could pay off 1,000 to 1, 2,000 to 1, 5,000 to 1. This sounds crazy. I know. I'm not talking about percentages here, people. I'm talking about $1 turns into 1,000. Now that doesn't mean the, the products are going to succeed, but- there are really big problems in society. We know this. We watch mass shootings. We watch suicide. We watch these things, environmental issues like global warming, and we wonder, why is this happening? How do we solve it? The way we solve problems in this world is not through the government or nonprofits. No. Entrepreneurs, which are single individuals who see some solution to some acute problem in society, that is the best model. Yes, so sure, a government can ban plastic bags. Sure, a government can ban uh, nuclear reactors, whatever it is. Create regulation. Nonprofits, they can try to do all kinds of interesting things. But the truth is, the entrepreneur and their boldness to go solve something, that creativity, capitalism, is what has moved the human species forward. We can debate it if you want, uh, but I'm right and you're wrong if you think socialism is going to solve problems. It's not. Okay, here ended the rant. But I saw this idea and I just thought, you know what? A lot of people killing themselves out there. Suicide is becoming the leading cause of death. And there's a lot of lonely people. You know how many people are on antidepressants in this country? It's one out of four or five. And this guy, Tom Cruise, got on a couch. He started jumping up and down. And he told uh, Matt Lauer, you don't understand, Matt. You're not an expert. I'm an expert. Oh, listen, he's no expert, Tom Cruise, maybe on acting or running fast. But Tom Cruise was right that exercise, socialization, these things do cure depression and loneliness. This is what the first thing a doctor will tell you. Are you getting enough exercise? Are you getting out there? Are you talking to people? Well, I saw this idea. Is it Revel? Mm -hmm. I saw this idea, Revel. I saw your idea, Lisa, on the interwebs. Correct, on Twitter. On the Twitter. And I said, this is brilliant. Tell everybody, and welcome to the program, Lisa Marone. Thank you. Or as we would say in Brooklyn, Marone. Exactly. Is that how people say it? So that's how people in the know say it. Marone. Exactly. Uh, welcome to the pod. Uh, I know you worked at August Capital. You were in the, the VC business. You heard my rant about capitalism. <laughs> we'll talk about that later if you agree or not, if you're a socialist or a capitalist or somewhere in between. Uh, but tell everybody what is Revel, this idea that I, I was just so captured by on Twitter, um, and uh, how did you come up with it? 
Yep. So Revel is a community for women over 50. And what we do is we give women the tools to host and attend gatherings of other women in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s near them who share their interests. Okay. Um, the idea really grew from a personal place. It grew from my own mother, my co-founder's mother. Uh, so my mother, her name is Marianne. She's 68 years old. Marianne Moroni? Exactly. Uh, she lives in Virginia. Okay, I thought Bensonhurst. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, she raised me by herself. Aww. So as her only kid, single mom, you can imagine she poured her heart and soul into me. Right. And No pressure for you. <laughs> no pressure for me. Definitely no pressure for me. Um, but, you know, like that's a really hard thing as a parent. Yeah. And that meant that when I left the house at age 18, as a lot of parents, for any parent, I think that's a big transition moment. But for her in particular, it was. And then when she retired, similar transition moment of her going out to the world and saying, OK, like, what's my new identity? Where am I going to spend my time? Who are my friends? Um, and my co-founder, Alexa, similar story. Like her mother um, is in a lot of ways very different than my mom. Joyce has been married for four decades. She's you know, a very high-powered doctor. She's still working. And nonetheless, she too wants friendships with other women her own age. And so Alexa and I thought about that and we thought about how, huh, like we know so many women of this age who are incredible, who are strong who just want to spend time with other women their age, and it doesn't seem like there are any communities being designed for them. At the Why same... does it happen organically, I wonder? That's, I'm sure so, the audience is thinking that too. Cause, yeah. Like, I, I'm a guy. Yeah, yeah, 38. yeah. 38. I'm not quite over 50. Give me another 18 yeah, months. Yeah, yeah. But uh, me and my boys play cards. Yep. And, uh, you know, totally. we watch the game. Totally. I mean... We have some things we do. Exactly. And does this, that not exist for women? It of course does. There's yeah. book clubs. There's, you know, yeah, like clubs, yeah. you just go out to lunch. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, like have wine with your friends. I mean, yeah. for for people who are lucky enough to go through raising kids or the, the bulk of their career and have really close girlfriends. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Those ad hoc organic friendships are ongoing throughout mm -hmm. one's transition years. What what happens, though, is that from 50 and beyond, there are all of these pretty crazy transitions that happen. Right. Um, you know, menopause, the average age is 51. The kids move out. Maybe the family then moves. Mm. Divorce. Uh, divorce and separation happens disproportionately in this age. Yep. Um, there's the, you know, the aging of one's own parents. And so you might be traveling to take care of them. Yeah. There are like any number of reasons that people might no longer be able to get by with just the friends that they had during their kids' years yeah. or their career years from work. And you had that separation, I think, happens after college, too, and it happens between the group of people who get married versus the people who don't. Yep. You have kids, you don't. Yep. All these things break up your friendships and you lose track of people. Yeah, exactly. So we at Revel tend to see differences more based on life stage than based on age. So like right. two 51-year-olds don't necessarily have a ton in common. But if you take two people who are married who still have kids at home who live in the same geography, they're going to have more in common than maybe someone who's recently gone through a divorce who lives somewhere else. Right. Um, and the beauty of technology is that we can help algorithmically to match people. You help share. people make friends. Exactly. We're friendship as a service, so to speak. Which is interesting. Um, is there a gender difference between because you've chosen women yeah is there a gender difference between and I, i'm not an expert on this between how men and women form friendships in later years mm. um or in general yeah yeah that well, i'm not aware of? it's really interesting because when we first started down this rabbit hole that yeah. became revel we didn't have a gendered lens on it we thought yeah. we will build for people mm. of this generation got it not men just women. women men and women yeah. yeah and we started doing research and talking to people and we found that women were very much leaning in to this idea of, yes, I want more mm. friendships. I want more activity. I want to fill my time. It was mm. less loneliness and more just a, a almost boredom, like seeking right. more activity. Interesting. Uh, whereas men, a little bit more content, a little bit more lean back, like happy with huh. the state of affairs. Interesting. I, you know, I'm no expert on why that is. Why that is. I'm yeah. sure it's a very complicated um, sociological yeah. you know, phenomenon and of that generation in particular. It's 2019. We're not allowed to talk about gender differences. <laughs> it's not allowed to. That's where we've come to now. Yeah, exactly. I don't want... Touching gender is like the third rail. Yeah. We're talking about male-female gender dynamics of friendship, and we're both on edge like, yeah, exactly. please don't say anything wrong. 
things. Are men and women different? It's like, we all know men and women are very different. Yeah. I, on many different ways. Exactly. Yeah. And we we just wanted to lean into the fact that women are already leaning into this right. need. Uh-huh. And so we can meet them there and we can provide. Take and me through the mechanics. How does it work? Is it like Tinder? Is it like meetup.com? How does it work? Yep. Coffee so, meets so bagels? <laughs> anyone can join us as a member. Right okay. now, our inaugural members in the bay get to join for free. Um, and as a member, she can browse and attend any gatherings that are happening on our site. Hmm. So all the gatherings are user-generated, okay. meaning that any member at any point can apply to host. And to host, she just fills out you know, what her idea for a gathering is, a little bit of information about her, and then you know, click submit. And then we read through all those applications hmm. and vet her and chat with her for 15 minutes on the phone to make sure that uh, the spirit of her event is in line with our community values. Got and it. then from there, it gets posted and other people can sign up. So you make sure she's not a serial killer. <laughs> Basically. And considering there's been almost no serial killers, you're in pretty good shape since you're female only. Yeah. You remove a whole level of <laughs> violence and insanity from your pool. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is interesting because people sometimes ask, what's the, like, what makes this demographic special? Like, mm. why women over 50? Why that narrow? Yeah. Sometimes investors or people in Silicon Valley yeah. can think, oh, that's niche. That's yeah. cute. Uh, and our response is, well, that narrowness, that focus really creates this special space that can't of be course. held elsewhere, right? Yeah. Like she knows that if she comes to a Revel event, it's going to be other women her age. It's actually going to be kind of intergenerational because there might be some 50-year-olds, there might be some 70-year-olds. Yeah. It depends. Um, but it's it that confluence of age and gender does create enough commonality that two people who are otherwise very different and might not otherwise be friends yeah. at least have something to talk about. Wait till you launch this thing and people start complaining to you about how you're ageist well, the opposite way. Because yeah, yeah. So the truth do... is people are ageist against people who are old. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is what we heard yeah. ongoing in our user research. Mm. We would ask groups of women, what's the special power of being a woman above 50? Mm. And they would say, well, I feel more comfortable in my own skin than I've ever Ah, felt before. I feel healthier and wiser than ever. And yet from a societal perspective, I feel invisible. Hmm. And we thought, oh. Wow. That's crazy. Felt invisible. Felt invisible. That is fascinating. Yeah. It's interesting. I have so many personal experiences right now. And because we're talking about gender and age, it is like a third rail. I have to be really careful about what I say. But my... A lot of my friends are in this age group. Mm. Some of them are divorced now. And it actually is now coming to me. I'm thinking about a couple of my wife's friends who are 50, divorced. And now they find themselves not having as easy a time meeting men uh, or finding their second husband. And they're looking. I know they're looking because I'm getting roped into this. Where my wife says, you need to come up with three names. And I'm like, I, I don't know which one of my friends are single, whatever. Right, so I need right, three names. Right, and I need right. them by tomorrow because we're going on a you know, thing on Saturday. You yeah, need to yeah, stock yeah. The, the the lake with some single guys who are interested in this 49 or 50-year-old. Yeah. Is, is that part of it? Women who are of that older age maybe not meeting or you know, not going to clubs and doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, so we're not interested in that stuff. Well, so there's a, there, there's a really interesting generational thing that's happening. Mm. So when, when we tend to think about retirement, we think about the Florida picture, right? It's like yeah. you, you move down to Florida, you are part of a retirement community. There's a nursing home in the future. Yeah. You're kind of segregated amongst people your own age. I think that's a very Silicon Valley stereotype of aging. Yeah. And there are lots of silver tech, elder tech companies, so to speak, that are designed for someone aging in place that's bringing companionship to the home. But what we noticed is that that person, that person who's like aging in place is more like a 70, 80, 90 year old. These yeah. days, because of the extension in life expectancy, because of just like general improvements in health and wellness, someone in their 50s, 60s, and 70s is still pretty darn young. Yeah, they're going to Burning Man, they're skiing, they're playing tennis. Exactly. uh, Yeah, my my mom plays tennis every day. My uncle's 83, he plays tennis every day. Exactly. And so we have so many members at Revel who say things like, I would be caught dead, I would rather be caught dead than go do water aerobics at a rec center, right? Like for them, that is of their parents' generation. They don't want anything to do with it. They they want want to go to Coachella. They want to go to like SoulCycle and like things that make them feel young and hip. Right. And so there's this like there's this gap in the 50, 60, 70 year old 
who's mm. she's not thinking about not retirement in the traditional yeah. way that her parents' generation did. Yeah. But it's also very unclear what she's supposed to do in those years. All right. When we get back, I want to know how you how you make this into a business model, uh, friends as a service, uh, you know, not being lonely, I guess. Uh, and I want to under- I want to get some anecdotes from you about what has been um, the number one example uh, that has inspired you as the founder to realize this is really worth putting the next decade or two of my life into Revel. And uh, you can all visit the website. Uh, it's hello, Revel, R-E-V-E-L.com. When we get back on This Week in Startups. What is it that makes one startup win and another startup lose? Well, I would argue that studying and understanding your customers is the thing that is the deciding factor. And you need tools to do that. And the great tool that you're going to start using is Gainsight PX. It is the only all-in-one product experience platform. And it's built specifically for SaaS products like yours, software as a service products. It provides the tools to deeply understand your user behavior at both an individual level and the account level. It collects all that user feedback inside of their app and the information allows you to improve your product, keeping the existing customers happy while gaining new customers. And you don't want to have a leaky bucket. It's not enough to get new customers. You got to keep those old ones happy and keep them from churning. Gainside PX is fully customizable. It's incredibly scalable. And you don't need any coding skills. You just drop it into your website and it works. Some of their amazing customers, Bongo, Bizaboo, Anaplan, Kenshu, you know all these companies. So here is a look at Gainsight PX, the platform. You can just apply these filters to see the activity and growth of new and active users. Bing, bing, boom. And then you can tag product elements and track the usage of those specific product elements. So let's say it was com.com or uh, Fitbot or any of these products. You could say, hey, who uses sleep stories? Oh, who uses meditation? Oh, who does dumbbells? Who does kettlebells? You really want to start studying your users on a granular level and understand all of that so you can get analytics and see how your users move through the product. And I want you to start using Gainsight PX for free right now. Go to Gainsight, G-A-I-N-S-I-G-H-T.com slash twist, Gainsight.com slash twist. It's free to start. Just sign up at Gainsight.com slash twist. Thanks again to Gainsight for providing a great tool to our startups and for supporting independent media like This Week in Startups. We really appreciate it. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, Lisa Marone is here with me. Uh, She is Marone Lisa on the Twitter, M-A-R-R-O-N-E-L-I-S-A. She is the co-founder of Revel. Which um, uh, seems to be an idea that I've never seen before. There was one other company. I, I met the founder of Papa, uh, yeah. which is very cool. Joinpapa.com, I believe. I had dinner with him when I was in Miami. I love that cat. Mm-hmm. Cool guy. Um, and when I left you, I was wondering, is this just going to be 20 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month to be a member? 15. Oh, okay. So you got a business model. Yep. 15 a month, 15 100 a month. if you pay for the year. Yeah, it's something like that. We have yet to test what the annual pricing will be like, but you $15 have to a do month. Annual we will certainly do annual pricing. No, listen, Calm, uh, yeah. <laughs> Fitbot, I've been through this because I introduced them to their later stage investors yeah. and they're all like, oh, there's a problem with your turn. And I'm like, yeah. Okay, guys, take out your credit card. The average credit card is going to expire in 12 months. Everybody churns. It's like, it's not like that people, and if you do yearly, priced as a year, then people, don't have to make the cognitive decision to unsubscribe every month if they don't use it and they have a full year to explore it. And then your churn goes from 20% a month to four exactly overnight, Yeah, which is why everybody's right. doing this. And, right. and subscriptions work on the app store. So is this working in an app? You have an app or something? We How don't does it have work? an app right now. It's a web app. Got it. Uh, I think certainly in the future it will be an app as well. So did um, you build it all like, uh, what do they call that? No code? Did you do a no code? Are you a no code it's startup? It's not a no code. We have a wonderful developer who's worked for us part-time for the summer. Oh, okay, great. Um, which has been wonderful, yeah. You got to get into this no code movement if you've seen well, Webflow and stuff. So there was definitely a day, probably week four of YC, mm. where we were really feeling the pressure of like, okay. Product you know, got, velocity. Got, yeah, need to build this quick. Yeah. Need to iterate. And I got deep into bubble. Yeah, uh, Bubbles, the other which one, Which is right? wonderful, yeah. Yeah, I think this is going to become huge, this no-code movement. I just had the CEO of Webflow on. The kid's brilliant. Yeah. Um, it's going to be the big thing. Yeah, totally. I've already got two people I mean, Bubble was great. Like, I could have built addicted my- Addicted to this. I definitely could have built my application on Bubble. Would have yeah, been fine. I mean, would have been no, uglier, but it would have been fine. Um, hey, you want to talk about gender differences. Like, the number of developers out there who are female is lower. Yep. And a lot of the accelerators out there, they want to accept developers first, everybody else second, or maybe mm-hmm, they only mm-hmm. want developers. This no-code thing- 
is going to open up startups to get through their MVP process and try things yeah. without learning to code. So if there's a group of people, demographics, female, or people maybe who didn't have exposure to STEM, all of a sudden they're going to be in the game because they're going to be able to make an yeah. app as easily as making a Squarespace website. Totally. It's going to be a game changer. Totally. All right. So 15 bucks a month, you got the web app. Or you, you haven't started charging, but you're going to. Yeah, exactly. Um, tell me about like some anecdotes or stories, things that when you saw it happening, mm. you said, wow, this is incredible. Because you're not over 50. You look like you're 30-something. <laughs> yeah, 31. Yeah, as I say, you're 30-something. So you're not you're not your customer yet. Your yep. mom is, so you yep. see that. What have they told you? Or give me some specific stories of people who've now had their life changed by this. Because it seems like this is life-changing to me. Yeah. What's been fascinating to me is the range of people with whom it resonates. Mm. Right? So I'll give you two very contrasting examples. One is a woman who is married. She's 55. She recently moved to San Francisco to be closer to her kids. She is one of the most extroverted, bubbly, like social creatures I've ever met. Someone this who, is a true story without their name. True story without their name. Got it. Someone who makes me feel like an introverted mouse. Got it. And, you know, every night of the week, she's out with her husband doing social things. And she said to me, I don't know what to do during the day. Like, I just want friends to hang out with during the day. Ladies who lunch, that's what people would say. Exactly. Like she yeah. just she wants activities to yeah. fill her time. And I I don't know until she said that that I would have expected that someone that social would still have the need during the day. During the day. And yeah. sometimes evenings, right? Like yeah. she doesn't want to hang out with her husband seven nights a week necessarily. Right. Um and then on the other end of the scale, we had um a lunch down in Palo Alto, about 10 of our members showed up. And, you know, we're just chit-chatting. People are introducing themselves, getting to know each other. And we're all going to get up and walk around the garden. And at the very last second before we stand up, one of the women at the end of the table says, I just have something I want to say. Whoa. And she said. Everybody's like, uh-oh, yeah. brace for impact. This yeah. could go one way or the other. She's like, I just really want to find some friends. Like, oh, I my really God. I'm feeling I like I'm cry right now. <laughs> I know. What are you doing to me, Lisa? <laughs> She's like, I just. I'd want someone to go to the movies with. Oh, my I was God. like, oh, my Get God. Get me some <laughs> like, here. Now I'm getting <laughs> right? choked I mean, up. It was crazy that, that someone, you know, not knowing anyone else at the table would admit that to 10 others. That shows how desperately she wants it, right? That's interesting. I have a confession. Yeah. I have something I feel I need to say. I'm looking for somebody who wants to see Kurosawa <laughs> films with me and, like, fi old films because my wife is like, stuff is too slow. Oh. I can't even go to the movies to see the films I want to see. Well, hopefully someone will I need an art that. house film friend who will go to those films with me um yeah you know if you think about the number of people uh suffering from depression and loneliness what, what's the broad picture there well and how much of it do you think the the application of antidepressant drugs which mm -hmm. i think over indexes with women i'm pretty mm -hmm. sure anxiety over indexes like massively with women Same. and depression i believe also over indexes in women so i would assume that the drugs also over index yeah. look that up for me nick and put it in the chat room but uh, depression and anxiety seem very acute and i think it's in this age group actually yeah um so have you done the research there and, and what does it look like well, one of the first data sources we turned to is the research that the United Kingdom did on loneliness. They actually have a commissioner oh, really? on loneliness there. Wow. And they've run um, pretty great uh, cross-country uh, uh, experiments on the penetration of loneliness by age group and have research showing that loneliness is all the more acute in people above age 50. Hmm. Uh, and there's different um, ways you can cut the data to see that it's more acute in people who are single and people who don't live with their kids as you would certainly intuit. Yeah. Um, and here in the United States, I think the numbers are broadly the same. Mm. Loneliness is more acute amongst the elderly for a variety of reasons, right? Like we're, we are living further and further from our extended family than we ever did before. Yeah. We are also living longer. And so there are these now decade spans of activity when someone's in their 50s, yeah. 60s, or 70s who still feels active and wants to hang out in a way right. she, he or she might not have before. Um, and then compounded is the fact that the traditional institutions that tied us together, church. places like church, country clubs, mm. um, social groups, nonprofits, are seeing declining decade over decade mm. enrollment. Uh, wow. Findings from the Literature and data suggest women are more likely to use prescription opioids compared to men. That's interesting. Huh. Wow. Yeah. And 
how do you get you were a venture capitalist yourself you were a principal over at august capital and you have a jd and an mba from harvard correct i mean god that's impressive i'm a masochist i think and you went to Yale. my god my mom is very proud i'm very proud that's <laughs> incredible um you decided to not keep going on venture capital instead uh, or practice law. You started to start a company. When you were a venture capitalist, if somebody came to you with this idea and you had to write coverage of it for Dave Hornick, yep. you would write what? This is crazy? I think I would have written it's a massively underserved market. Mm. That would have been my yeah. lead, yeah. which is true. And I, I think that if you read the numbers and recognize how big this population is, they're not called the baby boomers for nothing. There are 50 yeah. million of them, women yeah. over 50 in the, in the United 50 States. 50 million women 50 over 50. 50 million women over 50 yeah. in the U.S. alone. And can you imagine how much money they have by the time they're 50? Right. So the, the average wow. income of one of these households is above median because of yeah. accumulation of wealth over one's lifetime. Sure. Yeah. Um, so they have time and money. Time and money to spend. Wow. And then when you do the market analysis of, okay, what else exists? Mm. It's, to your point earlier, kind of organic friendship for those who are lucky enough to have friends yeah. who they want to see more of as they yeah. age. Uh, and maybe meetup.com for people who are yeah. truly bold and like know how to work around a website. A room. And, yeah. yeah and, um, find the bulldog meetup. Exactly. There, I went there are meetup. lots of meetups for yeah. women over 50 in the Bay. You can find them. Uh, but, you know, it's not perfectly designed for that age group, so it has some issues. Yeah. Um, and there's really nothing else. I don't think a male VC would be the person to back this. I don't think they're going to get it. You know, we've been very... What's it like when you pitch a male VC? Are they, do they get it? So we were very lucky that we pitched, uh, we pitched mostly women and enlightened men. So actually, the men who we pitched... Both of the enlightened men? Both of them, me and Alexis, <laughs> two woke guys. <laughs> Alexis is particularly woke. He's he, super woke. And he definitely got it, which he is got wonderful. Yeah, yeah, he pitched us more than we pitched him. Well, I mean, he did, um, I, I didn't know that he was, but I, I know he did Papa. So, exactly. I mean, he yeah, also yeah, yeah. is like, you know, he kind of, yeah, he's, he's kind of woke about the, the yeah, the role of men. And like, you know, now he's a dad, he's kind of leaning into that. So exactly. is he going to fund it or what? What's the story? Uh, he's he's he wants an angel to? investor. Oh, okay, great. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, women, a woman's going to back this. That's women my... definitely understand it. Yeah. But you know what? It's amazing, like, too, we're sitting here 10 years later and like, you're like, oh, all well, the women VCs get it. It's actually changed in Silicon Valley. There's a lot more female there's VCs. There's a lot more female so VCs. So with a female idea like this, you don't feel like 10 years ago you might where, who do I pitch this to? Yeah. That's actually encouraging. And, and another thing is everyone has a mother. Mm. So, yes – it's easier to understand the lived experience as a woman because, you know, even myself as a 31-year-old, I hope to be 50 someday and I'm projecting forward into the future what I want to be treated like when mm. I'm 50. Uh, but I think men, there have been plenty of men who have reached out to me and said, oh, my goodness, like, this resonates with me. My mom is going through X. Like, she yeah. could really benefit from this. Yeah. And I think that's something that works to our advantage. Thinking about that as well. Yeah, just thinking about my mom. Uh, here uh, in the chat room, I just got another piece of research. Women twice as likely to take antidepressants as men. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I remember reading those studies. And then there was actually, again, we're not allowed to talk about these things because we're not allowed to actually delve into gender differences anymore, at least not in a public forum, but I'll go for it anyway. Yeah, the, the thinking was... Uh, because women uh, create babies mm -hmm. and are or have historically been responsible for protecting them, they would be more conservative and more alert. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the women who were on guard more would have their genes handed down. The women who were frivolous and maybe didn't have, weren't alert, wouldn't have their genes uh, carried down. So anxiety would be a negative way to look at vigilance. So the studies were like vigilance is built into uh, women's DNA more than men. Hmm. Just like aggression is built into yeah. men more than women huh. because of testosterone or whatever. So it's so fascinating that maybe that vigilance leads to in a world where you don't have to be as vigilant Anxiety. anxiety. That's. Yeah. I read. This was like an actual study. I. Uh, I don't have the citation, but I'll look it up and put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, I guess the next question for me is, how on earth does something like this scale? And what have you studied in the marketplace 
in terms of making the scale answer that when we get back from this quick break. I know you want to turn your idea into a beautiful website. You want to start a company. You want to start a project. Maybe you want to blog or maybe publish some content. Maybe you want to sell a product or even a service. Maybe you want to promote your physical or online business. Well, Squarespace is the answer. You know this. I use it. You use it. We all love it. Why do we love it? Because it provides beautiful, customizable templates and such powerful e-commerce functionality. And you know, you put those two things together and wow, that is catalytic. Uh, And you can buy domains there, of course, from over 200 extensions. So you find a great name for your business. You put up a beautiful website from all those gorgeous responsive templates that work on iPad, phone, desktop, wide desktop, you know, narrow desktops. It just works. And you get a great domain name with it. You get great analytics. You get the search engine optimization, free and secure hosting, and 24 by 7 award-winning customer support. Here's Presh making uh, a new website for us. Uh, superhumanwallpaper.com I asked him to make an example website as fast and as beautifully as he could and look what he did he browsed the templates he selected a beautiful photography template and he creates an active website within minutes here it is superhumanwallpaper.com a site to showcase superhuman inbox zero images very clever Presh okay here's what you need to do you think beautiful website with great functionality and great support I want you to just think Squarespace so go to squarespace.com and get a free trial right now And when you're ready to launch your website, you just use the offer code TWIST and you get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Please don't forget to use TWIST, T-W-I-S-T, when you launch your website. Okay, thanks again to Squarespace for being one of our longest-running partners on This Week in Startups. It really means a lot to me. The company's done amazing. It's been great to grow alongside of you uh, and the whole team over there. So thanks again, Squarespace. All right, let's get back to this amazing episode. All right, Lisa Marone is here. I'm so glad I ran into your tweet. I saw it on Twitter. And I was like, God, that's brilliant. How'd you come up with the idea? Just you're watching your mom? Yeah, really, it was that. It was... Yeah thinking about my mom and probably yeah. feeling a lot of guilt. I had, What was your second best idea? Did you have another one? You must, because you seem like one of those, uh, if you're a Harvard MBA, you must have made a list of 20 ideas no. and then done a whole, I've met these Harvard I'm MBAs before. More, like even when I was starting at August two years ago, yeah. I went on a hike with some friends and was joking about how if the whole VC thing didn't work out, I was going to start, I think what I called it then was the Soho house for older people. Interesting. Uh, and yeah, I was fascinated by this notion of um, connecting people in the real world and interge- yeah. intergenerational co- connection too. Right. Uh, and so it was always there in the back of my mind. And then yeah. I think I just needed a bunch of nudges and mm. to meet Alexa and to have yeah. this fortuitous opportunity to build a company with someone who I respect as much as I respect her. And yeah. like once that became an option, it was very easy to then take the leap. I got to introduce my friend Scott Heiferman, who started Meetup.com like 15 years ago. Have you met him yet? No, I would love to. Uh, yeah, just email me and remind me, and I'll uh, I'll email him because he's got like he sold it to WeWork. Yeah, of course. But his idea was very very similar to yours, which was use the online to get people to right. to meet uh, offline. Right. How the heck does this scale? Because yes. that's the thing you're going to get judged on now. It's like, oh, it's a great idea. Oh, yeah, the MVP worked. But scale is what it's all about in this town. And if you're going to mm-hmm. raise money, you got to have a story of how this gets to $100 million in revenue, which at $100 a year per person is a lot of people. Yep. So, so two things on that point. One, we have this amazing virality that we already observe hmm. where – when a woman signs up as a member of Revel, today mm. she refers on average one friend. Sure. Uh, and when she attends an event, she on average brings half a friend. Got it. So that's incredible because then without spending any money, we're growing our membership. The old viral coefficient. <laughs> exactly. Every other person brings a person. Every other person brings a person. Yeah. That's a better way to say it than they bring half a person. <laughs> exactly. And That's your Harvard MBA speaking. Yeah, exactly. I can say it to you in plenty. <laughs> but it caught your attention. So. Yeah, it did actually. They bring a half a person. Um, so, so, you know, that's going to be fuel for growth. Right. We have yet to, well, we did a very small paid pilot for mm. one week to get some sense of what CAC yeah. would be. And another advantage working in our favor is that very few people are targeting this woman on Facebook. Women over 50. And yet yeah. this demographic is increasingly the majority of eyeballs on Facebook. Mm. You know where this idea would really work is in Japan. They have the largest aging population in the world. They live long. Yep, they live longer. And they have a problem with low birth rate. They have. Though what Japan is doing that we're not doing is that they, well, 
two things. One, as a society, they respect their elders a lot more than we in the United States do. Right. They'll go visit them. Yep. And they live with them, in fact. And in Japan, I was in Tokyo in March. It's not uncommon to see grandparents escorting kids to and from school. Wow. Yeah. Whereas in the States, I think that's more uh, either the privilege of the rich or reality of the working poor. But the middle class, by and large, is isolated from where they grew up. Yeah. There's um, one of the biggest issues in Japan now is there are so many old people mm-hmm. that um, many of them are having dementia, mm. which happens because they yeah. live such a long time. Yeah. Now, a large portion of the country's wealth huh. is in the hands of those old people. They have dementia. Huh. So now it's putting at risk the wealth of the country because that money is not being spent. Yeah. You remove uh, monetary velocity, kind of important, as you know, being an MBA, et cetera, like for mm-hmm. running a, a country. And people over there are so pessimistic. I had two different people on my last trip there say to me, yeah, I don't know why you would have – I asked them if they had kids. And they said, yeah, I'm just not sure I would want to bring a kid into this world. Mm-hmm. So like the meme there is the world is so bad. It's yeah. getting so much worse, environment, yeah. et cetera, that you probably don't want to bring humans into this. I mean that's dark. And that's we talk about dark. dystopia. When that's people are dark. opting out of making babies, it's right. like, whoa, we have crossed yeah, some weird funny. Rubicon now. Yeah. Um, so that's, that seems reasonable for scaling. Hey, what about charging for the events and like uh, curating them a bit? It would seem to me that like if you did a pop-up meal or partner with some people, there'd be some revenue there. Yep. So we um, allow our host to charge a fee for the event. Oh, good. So so the way that works today is it's very open market. We don't police it too much. We do encourage people, you know, not to make a crazy profit on the event because right. our members don't want to they, they can see through things that are yeah. just designed to enrich the host's pocketbook. But if she wants to put out a wine and cheese platter or if she's buying tickets to go to an art gallery or XYZ, she should absolutely be able to use our platform to yeah. handle that transaction in as seamlessly a way as possible. So in this model, the den mother, uh, as it were, the the, the group leader mm-hmm. could actually become sort of like an Airbnb host or exactly. an eBay seller. Exactly. So uh, tonight after this, I'm going down to Redwood City. A woman named Cynthia who loves crafting and runs her own YouTube. YouTube channel yeah. is running a crafting workshop. And yeah, she's going to have like a, uh, she has blueberries and chocolate covered pretzels and all of the art stations set out in her store. And, ah. you know, like Cynthia, this is now a new revenue stream for her. Yeah. You know, it's, it is interesting. I just made this connection, but young people, mm. your generation, uh, millennials, and then even before that, the Gen Zs, I think you're a millennial if you're over 30, but the Gen Zs are also obviously driven by experiences over yeah. consumption. Yeah. Fascinatingly, the Gen Xers and the boomers you're targeting, because it's going to be Gen Xers soon, starting to be, but mostly boomers, I guess, they are actually now moving into a phase where they're getting the enlightenment that the millennials and the Gen Z have, which is experiences and friendship greater than upgrading your BMW or Mercedes to the next highest model. Right. And I think that's why you see them rejecting things like country clubs and private country clubs and yeah. tours and cruises and things yeah. in favor of what's that off the beaten path adventure Experience. I can go on yeah, with my on friends. A hike or something. Yeah. What do you think of these like the coven and uh, some of those other actual spaces? What's the other one called? The, the wing. wing. Yep. I so went to the wing. I love I was, the wing. I was scared it's going to the wing. beautiful. It's gorgeous. I was nervous though. I draw a lot of inspiration from it. I, really? I Are you a member of the wing? I'm not a member of the wing. I wish I could afford it. Um, well, I think it's only 200 bucks a month. 2400 a year. Yeah, it's a lot of money. No, you should use, <laughs> use all this great VC money you got poured in. Uh, no, it is. It is. I think they do a sliding scale. I think for so if you're under a certain age, uh, yeah. you could probably get a better deal. Yeah, I think the wing is really, really great. It's beautiful and like it, it. It sends a nice political message, which I appreciate yeah. too. Right, it stands for something bigger than just a physical space. That's a co-working space. Yeah. Um, I think for us, given that our customer is by and large not working or reaching the tail end of her working years yeah she doesn't have that much disposable income to put mm. towards a place where she's going to sit with a laptop and work yeah um, and so that's why we designed our platform in a much more cost efficient manner to to enable know. her i think the physical space could be a well, thing for you so i i agree so so we're and we're headed there ah, okay but the business model as it is today is where we're starting because we want that to carry the brand into living rooms across the country I should e- first. I should explain why I was nervous going there. Yeah. It wasn't nervous to be in a room with women. I'm not Vice President Pence. What it was was 
I kind of feel like that's a woman's space. Yeah. And I had a CMO of a major company ask me to meet her there. And I mm-hmm. said, is it okay? Because I don't want, like, women are so marginalized and, like, harassed and everything. I don't, if that's the space where they've picked to be in their own space, like, I, I don't want to intrude. Yeah. And so I, I kind of feel it's lame for dudes to show up there. I disagree. So, so I, was- well, I It's a hot button issue. Uh, for, well, specifically for yeah. the wing because they got sued because well, the, the man wing, tried they got, sued. they got sued by a man who is a little silly in my opinion like what's well, so dumb who is this dude like, there like, have been men's clubs for forever why can't women have one <laughs> listen because we have laws that say you can't discriminate against sex well, but there should be some reasonable common sense that if a bunch of women want to get together and have their own club you don't have to crash it yeah I, I understand move. your position. And also when I used to be a VC, I was a uh, member of the assembly here in SF, which uh-huh. is another sure. women's co-working space. And I used to invite guys to meet me there all the time. Right. And yes, it was a little bit awkward. But for me, it made me feel like the meeting was in my turf. Ah, you have the high ground. I had the high ground, which I, like I never that, otherwise got to have. And which, so it was a really nice like power rebalancing. That's interesting you say it because... I never feel that way. Aww. I always feel like I'm in the dominant like yeah, 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 position. Yeah. I write the checks. You know, I got yeah. the podcast. Like I don't ever feel like. But and you I would did... think as a VC, I would feel that, right? Like, you I would the check, yeah. But no. But when I went there, I did actually feel like this is not my home turf. Mm. And okay, what's it going to be like? And I also there is a specific Instagram account now called like Dudes of the Wing. Oh, no. Do you know about this? <laughs> no. So I think a lot of women who joined, joined under the, you know, social contract. This was a women's club. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when this dude decided he needed to mansplain mm-hmm. the law. About public accommodation laws. Yeah, yeah. To the women who obviously understand that mm-hmm. uh, and did the suing. And guys started showing up there. This anonymous account takes pictures of guys who spend their day there. Uh, so it's, yeah, they're sort of. Did you check whether you ended up on the Instagram account? I didn't. Account? I should check. You should check. Because you know what? We walked – I'll tell you this story. I walk in and there's like a beautiful like cafeteria area. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, oh, it's a little buzzing in here. And there was one guy in there. And I, we got a drinks. And then she's like, oh, let me show you around. And we go walk in and everybody looks up. And I was like, okay. this. <laughs> <laughs> so now I got like 50 women staring at me, like side-eyeing me. And – it was so quiet in there. Yeah. Knowing myself, oh, no. I'm a loud mouth and I'm just like, I'm going to be talking at the top of my lungs and this is going to be on Twitter and Instagram in 15 minutes that Calacanis is like holding yeah. court at the thing and I was like, I don't think we should go in this room. Like, <laughs> People seem to be working and like nobody was talking yeah. in the living room kind of area. And she's like, no, no, you're allowed to talk in here. I was like, I, I would feel more comfortable if we did. <laughs> and then we got a conference room. There you go. Which I felt much better about. The- yeah. But I, I don't think I wound up on dudes of the- Well, you with, should check. I, I'll have to check. Uh, but I do actually think that there's something about the physical space that would be very powerful for what you're doing. Absolutely. And yeah. I think, you know, I think with seed funding, it's about proving that we can scale the model as it exists today yeah. and exist beyond San Francisco and see retention and see that people love it. Mm. And I think with Series A, it'll be about doubling down on the community and what the community means and what its resonance is. And I think one of the best ways to do that is through physical space, right? Like give people the keys to a space that's hers where now she can host Revel gatherings there. I think that starts to make it feel more tangible and strong. You know about Neighborly yet? N-E-Y-B-O-R-L-Y. It's one of the companies I invested in. Neighborly's taking storefronts, okay. and they rent them for $94 an hour. So they take a storefront. Let's say it costs 5000 a month to rent or something. They build it out. They make it look super beautiful, but it's a shell. Hmm. Then you can rent it for your Revel event or your offsite. Oh, that's amazing. And for four hours, it would cost whatever that is, four times 94. But let's just – and sometimes they give discounts to nonprofits or whatever. Let's mm-hmm. say it was 300 bucks to host your event, and then you can have like 60 people in there, so 20 bucks each. Now you got a yeah, space yeah. that's not a hotel that's, that's not super expensive. That's Here great. it is. See, this is the beautiful spaces they have, neighborly, uh, range of spaces. That's their Union Square space. So it's it's like WeWork or – yeah, I an Airbnb, that. but for like office kind of space. And it, it really is like working. Um, I love that because I do think there are so many beautiful underutilized spaces out there in the world. 
Storefronts especially because we have a retail apocalypse. Cafes, right? And and the demographic I serve tends to be available at times of the day that maybe these restaurants or cafes. Check out the Berkeley one for $59 an hour. And I think during the day, because they're going to start doing the pricing based on hours, like you're saying. How do you think about events? Are you going to try to curate those or leave it up to the community? Because there's this concept of... um, uh, like flow or state changing events where you've done something you've never done before. And mm-hmm. flow is when you've done something that you just kind of lose yourself in, like maybe tennis. But yep. doing tennis for the first time might be a state change. Yeah. But after you get into it, it becomes flow. Yep. But when people are in that state change or flow experiences, it's um, really becomes rewarding for them. And it, it relieves, I think, some anxiety and depression and those kind of things to study show. Have you thought about that? Because when I do my events, I try to get people to do mm-hmm. a state changing kind of event, like water well, skiing yeah. or wave running or sniper rifles, whatever. Have you thought about that? Well, we've thought about it through the lens of, you know, given that right now our brand is in the hands of our members who Mm. are hosting our events, what are the ways that we can make any one event feel like a rebel event? Right. And so I think that there are rituals like that that should be embedded that get people to introduce themselves in a way that might feel a little vulnerable, Mm -hmm. but that then create greater cohesion in that group of people that otherwise doesn't know each other. Yeah. You got to read this book. uh, What is it? The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Oh. Patrick Lencioni. I think he might have been a Harvard MBA, like a teacher or something like that. Or maybe it was Penn. Anyway, one of the things they do in that book the five dysfunctions of the team is they, they, they sort of talk about retreats. And one of the things people do on retreats mm-hmm. is we go around the table and say, uh, tell us about your siblings and what they do. Mm-hmm. And tell us about a challenge you overcame when you were in high school. So you go around the table and you do this. And eventually somebody says something that's just like, whoa, that's really personal. Yeah. And, but you also start to learn about like how they grew up. And man, people are instantly bonded. So those kind of like right. icebreaker questions are great. Yeah. So I think... You know, there's there's lots that we can do there. As far as what, you know, what parameters we put on an event, it is very much an open platform. Mm. You know, we can see based on the data which events tend to be very popular and which events don't. And over time, we will do things to message to the hosts, ex ante, mm. hey, this has characteristics of a really, really good event. And this might, you might want to change the time or this topic is not particularly popular. Um, yeah. As well as building in the tools for people who aren't yet ready to host to voice things that they're interested in doing. Ah, yeah, you could do on demand. So people could say, I am looking for uh, friends who revel in wine tasting. Or whatever it is. Kurosawa, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I'm going to put it up there. (laughs) I'm Jay Safina, and I'm looking for a girlfriend. How soon before some guys? You have to be 51st. So by a year and a half. By a year and a half, I can go do like the dude thing. (laughs) Exactly. uh, 10 years, what will it look like if you succeed? In 10 years, we want to be just as resonant as AARP. So we want to be like the brand that's known as Hmm. like the community for your transition years. Fantastic. All right. Well, listen, I'm, I'm looking forward to being an investor. I just invited myself to the cap table. Uh, no, I mean, it's really a great idea. I, Thank you. I think you're going to have tremendous success for it. Um, it's very creative as well. Continued success. How can people get involved? Uh, well, if you're an engineer and you're interested in working for us, you can email me at lisa at hellorevel.com. Great. Uh, and looking for somebody passionate about? About building community for women over 50. Perfect. Uh, there's somebody out there who's going to email you in the next 10 minutes. LinkedIn Talent Solutions is the bomb. We have hired the last three candidates at launch. We're now up to 15 people using LinkedIn because there's 600 million people who visit LinkedIn and they make connections there and they learn and they grow as professionals and they they have that great work history there and your skills, all that great data. Plus they have the feed, they have news. There's so many reasons to go to LinkedIn. You and I know that because we're on LinkedIn every day. Well, what about trying to hire somebody using LinkedIn Talent Solutions? That's what you need to do right now. I need you to go to uh, LinkedIn.com slash twist. You will get a 50 on them and me for going to LinkedIn.com slash twist. And here is CMO Presh using it right now. He puts in a job posting for a client success manager for our Toronto office. We have an office in Toronto. It's hard to get talent here uh, in Silicon Valley. So we said, hey, screw it. We'll go to Toronto, see what we get up there. Getting great talent. It's ridiculous uh, because the podcast is growing. And so we look for somebody to maintain our client relationships and help the podcast grow. And here he puts in the skills we need. He writes a description. He sets a budget and boom, we're off to the races finding great talent. 
LinkedIn is helping hire somebody every eight seconds. That's how good this service is. So here's your call to action. I want you to LinkedIn.com slash twist. Go to LinkedIn.com slash twist and get $50 off. Let's get back to this amazing episode. Okay, next up on Office Hours with Jason is Leonardo. He is from Send4, S-E-N-D-4. They automate returns for retailers, reducing customer service costs while generating extra money and engagement. That's an interesting idea. Does this happen uh, in person? Like you send somebody to the house to pick up the treadmill or the clothes, or do you just provide this as a warehouse? How do you do it? So basically, uh, there's a huge gap of experience between the way you buy online and when you need to request a return. Mm. So you buy frictionless very easily 24-7, but when you need to return, you need to call customer services, uh, follow a lot of procedures. What we do is to level this experience in a way that you do, in a very easy way, the return, as the, just the way you buy. So it's a portal, very customizable for the merchant, for him to use the look and feel of his brand and so on, allowing the consumer to request by himself whenever he wants, the way he wants, very easily, mm-hmm. and bringing loyalty to the table so that because this consumer can buy again recurrently. Got it. So instead of me trying to get customer support on the line, which is a lot of friction, mm-hmm. you build software that allows me 24 hours a day to just return something and have it go very smoothly. So it's sort of best practices plus software. How many customers do you have and when did you launch this? Perfect. Uh, in the past 11 months, uh, we were able to service 65,000 consumers, uh, 80 e-commerces, Wow. Uh, more than $7 million in product value was returned through our platform. Let me ask you a tough question. Are people making it friction? Are people adding friction to returns to dissuade people from returning? Because that's my perception. And if so, how do you overcome that objection? That's great. Great question. Uh, basically, we are trying to use the ecosystem in favor of the merchants uh, in a very fair way. So uh, as we have this solution implemented in several e-commerce is we know how the behavior of the consumer in different uh, stores. So if they start having a bad behavior, uh, we don't offer that easy way as we used to offer for a good customer. Ah, that's fascinating. So your best practice is if I have ordered a hundred times and only returned once, you just take it back real quick. Exactly. If I've ordered three times and returned twice, you're going to make me call on the phone dynamically between the hours of nine and five and charge me the restocking fee. Exactly. And more than that, I use mental triggers on this journey to convince you to get store credits instead of cash refunds. Ah. So I keep the money inside of the merchants. Got it. And engage you to buy next purchase. How did you come up with this idea? Uh, my partner over there, he had the business, preview business that he was delivering goods ah. at the last mile, and he suffered a lot uh, with this process. And saw so that there was a much more higher, uh, a bad, bad, uh, worse experience on the, the reverse logistics than mm-hmm. it was on delivery. So Got when it. he sold his business, uh, he invited me to build this one. Got it. And so you charge people for software or per return, or how do you charge them? Perfect. So we charge in two ways. There is a subscription fee that we charge the merchants for that. Ballpark cost? Uh, around uh, $300 per month. For the software? For the software. Got it. And a transactional fee, which is a take rate, mm-hmm. over the amount of money that we retain as a, a store credit. Ah, so if you get them to take store credit, you get another 5 or 10% of that? Between 5 and 20%. 5 and 20? Yeah. So you negotiate it. It depends, depends on, on the, the category. Volume, yeah. Or depends the volume. The volume of, of money transacted. Ah, so if it's a small amount of money, you may take 20% if you get the store Perfect. credit. If it's a big person, they got 1,000 orders coming back, you just take five because then it's a big number. Exactly. And they don't want to do this themselves. That's a good point. Uh, we actually converted two stores, two merchants mm-hmm. that had their own solution, and they decided to give up on that and go for us because we were changing in uh, improving the solution faster than them. We are thinking about that 24-7 as well, so focus is is very important. Awesome. And you don't need to get every customer. You just need the ones who have the need. Excellent. Um, But you don't do any of the actual receiving of the products and repackaging or anything like that. They still do all that. Pure pure SaaS. Yeah, just just the SaaS stuff. It's amazing. Great great idea for a business. What's your biggest challenge? Uh, So far, we've been growing uh, through outbound site sales. 
uh, and we've been doing that very well. But the challenge now is to build a new channel for growth in a, in a scalable way, in a faster way. So the biggest challenge is how we try to use a B2B mm -hmm. uh, approach to grow faster, just like B2C does. Sure. So scaling SaaS products um, is not easy. You have a sales process. You have to convince people they have objections. And you're doing something that is probably very new. They've probably never had anybody else call and say, can we help your just your returns process and we will get more people to take store credit and you give us a piece of that. That's probably the first time they've ever heard that pitch. So given that, it's not going to be, you cannot expect in the early days that it is going to be easy. The fact that it's hard is recognition of that it's new. So if it's hard, that's okay for now. Once those people have been doing it for 18 months, the average tenure of employees now is probably two years in these companies, three years or less, they're going to go to their next company, get the job title above the one they had at the last, and they're going to say, oh, I have a solution for this, and they're going to bring it with them. So you have to play the slow game, which is you have to survive long enough for those people, to, for your product to infect organizations, and for you to have such a tremendous impact on them that when their people leave, they bring Salesforce with them. They bring Zendesk with them. They bring Slack to the next company. They bring Zoom to the next company. That's what's happening in, in SaaS products today. So much so that when people get to a new company, they say, uh, okay, um, yeah, you got my Slack, you got my Salesforce, and uh, we're going to use Outreach, and we're going to use Asana. And they're like, no, no, we don't use Asana, and uh, we're not using Salesforce. And they're like, what? Well, that's what I'm trained in. What are you using, right? Um, so you have to play the long game. SDRs and email sequencing uh, is likely the best solution because you can, once you define which titles open the emails, which copy results in meetings, and what meetings and sales executives who are hosting those meetings convert, you can look at every part along the funnel and optimize. So you could say, okay, you know what, we've been picking people who are the VPs of e-commerce. It actually is the VP of customer service, or it's the director of customer service, or it's this person. It's the logistics person, whatever the title is on LinkedIn that you target. Um, or, oh, the way to convert is to actually get the chief operating officer or the CFO involved. Because the pitch to the CFO is, would you like to have more money in your float and then have some of those essential gift cards, credits, uh, not get used because they're going to look at it and say you know what two out of every ten dollars mean get lost in the system and never get used and we get to keep that yum yum so we should give them two of the ten dollars because we're going to get those two back and the other eight dollars or six dollars will go back in the system so i think sdrs and just focusing in like a laser on that and then there's trade press once you have those lighthouse customers you have customers who you have delighted beyond belief you can then use the trade press and you can use trade shows where e-commerce people are going and affiliates are going and to, to work on those people. Or you can look at the stack of people who worked at, uh, who have Magento or Squarespace or Shopify. And then you could hire somebody who worked at Magento, Squarespace, and Shopify to work at your company because they know the big customers of those platforms, which if you have Shopify, if you have Magento, if you have Squarespace, then you need your service if you're a breakout, right? Mm -hmm. So there's like three or four different ways for you to sort of sneak in there. And I think being patient with yourself and just having almost no churn and delighting the heck out of your customers. You have to really delight them. You have to really, really, and then get them to be able to be a lighthouse customer, which means you say, would you make a Yelp-like review for me to put on my website? Mm -hmm. And if you can't get four out of five people to do that, three out of five to do it, you really got to ask yourself, are we doing enough for these customers? We've been questioning ourselves if we couldn't get the consumers to push the merchants to adopt that's the interesting technology. Too. Yeah, that's interesting. Have you seen too. something like that before? Yeah, um, I have seen leveraging your customers to get partners to do things. It's a very aggressive tactic. So the two times I can think of was when Time Warner kicked like the Yankee channel off of or the Knicks channel off of local cable, 
when you turned on that cable channel and they had a dispute over how much they would pay for the Yankees or for the Knicks, they would say, call Cablevision and tell them you want your Yankees because they're the reason. And then Cablevision would say, call up James Dolan at MSG and tell him to get him back on. And consumers were like, I, I just want to watch the Knicks lose. What the fuck? Like, why, why do I have to call a CEO of a company or two companies? And they kind of pointed fingers at each other. Or when de Blasio was trying to shut down ride sharing in New York or cap it because he was in the pocket of the taxi medallion people, from what I understand. Um, Uber and Lyft just told everybody using calling a New York one, we may not be able to pick you up in under 20 minutes. If de Blasio gets what he wants, click here to send him an email, click here to call his office, boom. And that just sent like a large number of people to de Blasio's office and was like, oh, I don't need to have 100,000 people who are going to vote for me in the elect next election, not like me. That's full contact. You don't need full contact more right now. You need to delight those customers and make a best practice of being able to use their referrals and figure out what titles work and just have SDRs. You can hire SDRs working from home for 15 bucks an hour. There's an unlimited supply of American college-educated people who are looking for, call it, 20 to 40 hours a week work from home between when they're picking up their kids for 15, 20 bucks an hour so they don't have to get in a car and drive an hour to Walmart or Target or Starbucks and be a greeter or just froth milk all day. They would much rather stay home and not take a shower, be in their underwear, and be able to then, you know, pick up their kids at school without a two-hour commute. And you just get those SDRs, and you just put them to work. Great. You'll get there. Great job, and let's give it up for Leonardo from Centfor. Thank you.